what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i am your friendly co-host ryan buell and ryan turned 30 since uh, yeah. the last time we spoke so happy birthday sir thank you uh, thank we you. had quite an epic weekend and we'll talk about that in a second mm-hmm. um but yeah so uh we're also joined by Corey tyndall Corey, welcome back it's always good to be back yep getting the band back together Yes. Um, so Corey's here to talk about uh, what we've been consuming and later Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, woot woot. He is a huge Spider-Man uh, fan or spider fan, yeah. if you will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what have you guys been consuming this last week or two? Uh, Corey, I know you've been busy, but we'll start with you. I've been consuming homework. Yeah. So I'm remembering what it feels like to be a student. Uh, so yeah, not a ton, really. I think Spider-Man was the only entertainment like thing that i like consume this week so yeah exciting nice uh ryan what about you uh me i i'm uh finishing up a book called leviathan wakes which mm-hmm. is really a really good science fiction novel and then yesterday i watched um howl's moving castle Oh, okay. A, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, it's a favorite favorite anime. Yeah, no wonder you fell asleep. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it is... For me, it's one of the most relaxing movies. Like, it's slow. That's a word you can use to yeah, describe it. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I love it a lot. I, I think it's real pretty. <laughs> I like the story, kind of the fairy tale style. But, uh, but, yeah, that's what I have been consuming. Um... Yeah, uh, I'm not a huge fan of House of the Castle. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, really? I it's, it's different. It's, it's different. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's meh. Um, <clears throat> Tell me how you really feel. I, I haven't yeah. finished it. I turned it off, actually. Oh, really? But I turn off a lot of Miyazaki movies. Oh. Man, I'm racking what? points, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I turned what off Princess Mononoke. What the heck? Okay, wow. I, I turned off Princess Mononoke. Why? Although, although, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. (laughs) Although, I saw it in theaters earlier this year and liked it. Okay. Yeah, I just... Because I was about to be like, what are you... What? So, part of it is, one, I legitimately think Howl's Moving Castle is a boring movie. Princess Mononoke, though, with that one, I felt like the impetus was on me. Um, There's something about Miyazaki's (laughs) movies where... I have to be in a theater setting or I have to be really captive to pay attention um, because it's such a different kind of storytelling um, that if I'm not, if, if I have like access to a distraction, his movies are so meditative mm. that it's really easy for my, my mm-hmm. brain to take over. Um, so, although, like I said, I think House's Movie Castle is legit boring, but I do like... I like Nausicaa, and I like Spirit of the You like Nausicaa? I love Nausicaa. That is, like, to me, that is a boring (laughs) And I like that movie. No, it's great. That movie goes at, like, a snail's pace. It does. There's something about that movie that I love, man. That's my favorite Miyazaki movie. Ooh, really? Yeah. I would have not have thought that. Yeah, yeah. It's a good choice. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, And then I really like Spirited Away as well. Although yeah. friggin' nothing happens in that movie, man. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's no real discernible like narrative to that movie. They talk. People talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good, but yeah, it's it is just kind of like here's a life. Um, yeah. Uh, what have I been consuming? Well, for Ryan's birthday, uh, we played a game called Twilight Imperium Third Edition. And for Ooh. those of you who don't know what Twilight Imperium Third Edition is, it is a it is it is board gamer mecca. Mm-hmm. Um, any serious board gamer, I think, has to do the Twilight Imperium pilgrimage at least once in their life. <laughs> um, 
It Man. Is, it is. It is. A, it's a sci-fi game. It's. It's called a 4X game. Mm. Uh, those players of Sid Meier's Civilization games know exactly what that means. Um, what do the 4Xs stand for? I think it's explore, exploit, exterminate, and I. Yeah, I'm at a loss for what the fourth one. And is. xenophobia. Xenophobia. Um, yeah. No. Um, anyway, We're all over on this episode. <laughs> so it's a. Uh, it, it, so it, it's four X's, and those are kind of what the mechanics of the game are built around. It's notoriously long. Um, we proved it. We did prove it, although we had a two-hour lunch break in the middle. So our game in total, minus the lunch break, took about five hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually on the shorter side. I've heard of games that have taken eight hours or ten hours. Yeah. Um, the box says three to four hours, which I could actually see maybe a four-hour game once everyone knows all the ins and outs and the rules. Yeah. It is an epic, epic game. Uh, it's real good, though. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's really a lot good. of fun. Um, and it's it's basically just like expanding your empire across the universe until somebody wins. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's it couldn't be a more straightforward premise, or even have more straightforward mechanics. But just the interplay between them is really good. Um, the the game can go a lot of different ways depending on people's play styles like we had a very passive game until until we were forced into not having one yeah two, <laughs> two out of the five players really weren't playing per se they yeah were, there was my wife and a, a friend of ours levi his wife yes uh who graciously they they wanted to play which i was fine with but they really it was me, really it was me, MJ, and my friend Levi, yeah. who were really kind of invested in what yes. was going on. So a little bit lopsided that way. But anyway, sorry. Um, so, but there's also like we weren't playing a real political game either. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can. There's a whole deck of politics things that I would love to play, but it would take a certain group of people to really kick that off. Yeah. Um. I, so I actually was kind of excited to play. Like the first game was good. But my brain is going rampant with what the second game could be like now that we've settled into it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we did that. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Levi won. And then last night I watched a movie called Phantasm. Hmm. It's a movie from 1979 is what I want to say. It's a horror movie <sighs> directed, written and directed by a man named Don Coscarelli. Um, hmm. It's one of J.J. Abrams' favorite movies. As a matter of fact, Captain Phasma named after the film phantasm oh Um, Oh. yeah uh because the the main villain is this guy known only as the tall man and he's got this uh, metallic sphere that kind of flies around and and stabs people and so he named phasma after phantasm because she's shiny okay um so shiny yeah i was waiting for it i was (laughs) yes um so uh, also, so the version we watched was actually J.J. Abrams put up money to do a 4K restoration of it, mm. and that's the version we watched was his restoration. It's an excellent restoration. I found no discernible reason for anyone to like the movie. Oh. Uh, let alone to front money to give it a 4K restoration. It's uh, it, it, so it's. It's super low budget. It's kind of bad. It doesn't make sense, but it's all on purpose. Um, however, it's different than like a Sharknado or like a Troll 2 or something. <laughs> in that it just is, it's, there's no like irony to it. You know what I mean? Like, you know how like Sharknado is super ironic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, Phantasm isn't. Um, and there's like, there's like just enough cool stuff that they tried to do that you can't be like out and out screw this movie so like i didn't like it but there are little bits that are really good like really cool on their own but they don't really matter in the grander scheme of like the tall man is a great villain whoever the guy that played him is is great he plays him great he's super creepy but like He's a little bit not the focus, but a little bit is. It's weird. It's just a really strange movie. Um, I think J.J. Abrams is super into it because it's very much that mystery box thing that he's all about. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Mystery I, box. Yeah, like I said, I didn't really like it, but there was there was just enough like, oh, that's kind of cool to like. But ju- they were just moments of that throughout the whole thing. You know, it wasn't the whole thing felt like that. It was just like every now and then it was like, all right, I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't like say I outright hated it, but there are somehow five of these movies, and uh, I don't plan on seeing any more of them. Um, the ending is great. The last shot is re- super great, <laughs> super super great. Um, and then this morning I watched the first episode of Castlevania. Um, <laughs> it it isn't great. Um, but one, it's less than a hundred minutes long. It's only four episodes for some reason. I don't know why it's not just an animated movie. <laughs> um, Is it coherent? I mean, yes. Better than other like, mov- like movie video game adaptations. Yeah. Like, like, so, I know- so the first episode is just Dracula's backstory. And okay. uh, I didn't really want that. Um, <laughs> I, like, I don't, I don't need to know Dracula's tragic history. I just need him to be like spooky. You know, I don't... The Trevor Belmont doesn't get introduced until the last, like, two seconds of the of the first episode. And he doesn't even have a line. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, so we just wasted a whole episode without our main character. But this thing is only four episodes long. Yeah. Uh, that's not, like, a good thing. Um, so I'm going to stick with it. Like I said, it it should be super easy to knock out, but I'm just not sold on it yet. Uh, the animation's really good. Also, thematically, it's really stupid. It feels like, it feels like the atheism subreddit, like, wrote the, the, the pilot. Um, just like a really, like, like, it's got this, like... Hell yeah, go take down religion. But like, oh. it really doesn't. Like, it's it's not as good at it as it, as it <laughs> thinks it is. Um, mm. I think a lot of that has to do with Warren Ellis, uh, who, <laughs> who wrote it. Um, he seems like that kind of dude. Uh, yeah, so I've, uh, I'll probably have the whole thing finished by next week, and I'll I'll be able to share my full thoughts on the piece as a whole, but. Mm. The animation's great. I will give it that. The animation is super great. But uh, the story is not really what I wanted out of it. So, mm. And that may just be me. <laughs> i got to meet the thing on its own terms. But, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, let's talk about Spider-Man Homecoming. So this is... Spider-Man, the... Spider-Man. Anyway, yes. Um, This is uh, Spider-Man's official entry into the MCU. It is uh, the second reboot of this franchise. Um, And it follows Peter Parker, who's Spider-Man, and kind of just him living his high school life. Uh, He's a sophomore in this film. And he's he's recently been recruited by Tony Stark to participate in the battle in Civil War. And uh, now he's kind of trying to balance life as Spider-Man and life as Peter Parker. And that's kind of it. Um, there's this guy named the Vulture, uh, or nicknamed the Vulture, uh, who is going around stealing stuff. And Peter takes it upon himself to stop him. Um, he's also creating super advanced weapons out of the uh, Kree technology that was downed in New York. Um, and so he's got this like flight suit that's super crazy, and that's a that's about it. Mm-hmm. It's the lowest yep. the lowest stakes Marvel movie ever. Um, so yeah, what did you guys think of Spider Man Homecoming? Ryan, we'll start with you. Um, I thought it was good, not great. Okay. Uh, I thought I thought they they got Peter Parker as Spider Man. I mean, they they did fan service up the butt. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with all the little things like the the spider flashlight and the wings, and I thought Tom Holland played the character wonderfully. Uh, he was funny. He was awkward. He, he they they did all that very well. Uh, I like the plot. So I, I, I in general I like the movie. I didn't like the lack of Uncle Ben actually. Yeah. And I I, I really did, I I did not like the whole substituting Uncle Ben with Tony, which is really what they did. 
you know, yeah. Tony kind of becomes a motivation, which makes sense to tie it into the MCU. <laughs> you know, he wants to be a hero like Tony. But to me, that really kind of stole from the essence of Spider-Man. Don't get me wrong, they did about 90% of who Spider-Man was. Like, the scene where the whole thing is crumbled on top of him, mm-hmm. and yeah. he gets up. Like, that was a good scene, but I didn't, yeah. like, I didn't like that he heard Tony's voice in his head. But if you don't have the suit, you're nothing. Like, that to me was not a motivational, like, I'm gonna get up, you know? It's like, no, Tony's a douche. That's not a role <laughs> model. You know, so to me, that, it, it was missing some of the heart. And I didn't like that. But it, it's a great movie. I mean, don't don't let me dissuade anyone from going to see it. It's a good movie. It's a solid movie. Just for me and my tastes, it just it lacked that heart. And that I didn't. That that's enough for me to go, eh, good but not great. So that's my take. Yeah, Corey, what about you? It'd be a this is gonna be an interesting conversation. Um, I I really liked it. Um. And Ryan, I can totally see the things that you're saying. Uh, this is, I I thought it was a good movie. It's a different type of Spider-Man yes. movie, um, which, you know, like I I was talking earlier, uh, like with my wife, just about like you know, things, films adapted from books or other source material. It's like people who are fans of those things. It's like there's stuff that we already like show up with and we bring into the movie and i feel like this was a movie where it's kind of like there's a lot of fan service and stuff but it's a very different type of spider-man movie um but i i liked it i liked it a lot um i think my biggest problems with the film and like we can kind of get into this a little bit later is kind of like and, and it wasn't like they weren't such big problems that it like made me really like not like the movie but just kind of like how it fit into the mcu in the sense of like it was kind of book-ended with MCU stuff, but uh, it didn't detract, like, a ton for me, but I just kind of, like, wish... Like, it was a Spider-Man film, but it still had that, like, hint of, like, hey, it's still in the MCU, and there's still things that are coming down the line, and that was a little bit kind of... Hmm. I wish I wish some of that could have been removed. And, like, some of that stems from, like, you know, how they got Spider-Man into the MCU, and, like, Tony is kind of, like, the gateway into that, and there's some of that stuff where it's kind of like, well, this is how we got him, so it's like, I understand, like, why Marvel went that direction and some of the changes they had to do, but overall, I really liked the movie. Yeah, I did too, man, Uh, surprisingly. I liked it a surprising amount. It's really easy to watch, it's just super watchable, man. Mm. Like, it's, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's it's long. It's a little bit too long. It's two hours and fifteen minutes. I don't really know why it needs to be, um, but I liked every single one of these characters. Like all yeah. the characters, I thought were great. I thought Tom Holland was a great Spider-Man. Yeah, he was. Uh, Ned is awesome. Uh, yeah. Hashtag guy in a chair. Like that Heck, was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll see about Zendaya. She's not in it enough to really have an opinion on. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's got good timing. Like, the timing of all her jokes were, like, pretty good. She the one yeah. that ended up being MJ? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, she did the... When she sees him at Homecoming, I thought that was hilarious when she went to wave at him and flipped him off instead. I yeah. was like, oh, that was pretty, like, that was pretty good. I really liked Tony Revolori as Flash. I thought that kid was great. Yeah. He was just, like, was always really kicking good. back and had something smart to say. Um... I liked uh, the love interest in this, um, mm-hmm. who I don't remember her character name. Liz. Um, was it Liz? Liz, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I liked that they were able to work both shockers in. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, like, really clever, the way they went and did that. Um, yeah. The fan service was actually pretty great in this one, because it was, like, subtle enough, yeah. but blatant if you know what to look for. Like, yeah. I liked that yeah. the tinkerer was there. Yep. Um, I don't know. I thought there was, I thought it was like really clever. Uh, but the, I mean, the piece de resistance of this movie for me is mother freaking Michael Keaton. Heck yeah, man. Oh my God. He's so good. He's so good in this movie, you guys. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Like, uh, that scene, we'll talk about the scene. Yeah, we will. Specifically. 
There's a couple, man, but There's yeah, that couple, one particular he's one. He's got a scene where he can ba- he basically turns into evil Batman, and it yep. is the best. He is, <laughs> no joke, the way that character is written, combined with Michael Keaton's performance, is he might be my favorite villain in the MCU. Um, yeah, I was just about to say, he is up there. Like yeah. He is, I think, one of the strongest villains they have produced. He's at least number two. Um, yeah. Behind Loki, if not, yep. I think I think I might like him more than Loki. Although Tom Hiddleston is really great in that role, mm-hmm. um, I just like I don't know. I really liked that the stakes matched the character in this movie. Yeah, there was just a lot to like. I thought it was hilarious, but not in like an annoying way. Like Guardians, it didn't have this like tongue in cheek like hipster BS thing about it yeah. that, yeah. that Guardians yeah. has. It felt like a John Hughes movie with superpowers. Like, yes, it did. It, I, and I that's why I loved this movie, because I felt like it really was... I mean, it's something different that Marvel has done, but it just really felt like we were there like in his world, and yeah. he's a high schooler. And it's like, yeah, he happens to have superpowers, but I honestly think some of that, rightly so, kind of takes a back seat to, like what you know like he's a high schooler and so we're seeing a lot of his world and his relationships and like the characters this movie nails the characters gosh the and characters he, are so good in this movie and it's like he just happens to have superpowers and like you know if he's only been spider-man for like six months it's like you really kind of get to see like the development of all of that happening and i, I really loved it <laughs> yeah yeah i i think there are so many good things they did with the character that I do think the warts on it kind of stand out. It's kind of like Baby Driver, yeah. right? Um, that we talked about last week, wherein the movie is so good that the flaws are pretty glaring. And I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing with this. Maybe to a lesser extent, I did like this a little bit less than I liked Baby Driver. Mm. Like, let's not get crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, we all heard the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, this movie's like, re- like I said, really entertaining, but it is a little too long. That lack of Uncle Ben is there. You know, he's not driven by guilt and responsibility. He's just driven by, I, I want to be an Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> like, I um, would argue, I would, I mean, like, we can come back to this, but I would argue that that's kind of still there. And I think Marvel was like, we don't need to retread that again. It's and, true, but, like, I just feel like some sort of lip service. That's why, like, here's the thing. The Spider-Man the actual Spider-Man origin is so easy to tell mm-hmm. that I don't have a problem telling it. Like, it's like the people who complain about, like, oh, we saw Bruce Wayne's parents die in Batman v Superman again. And it's like, it was the opening credits of the movie. Like, the movie's two hours and 45 minutes long, man. <laughs> like, it's two minutes at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. And I feel like you could have done that same thing, like a flashback to Uncle Ben dying. You don't. I, for me, I didn't even need a flashback; just a verbal acknowledgement. Yeah. Uncle Ben died. You don't have to tell me the whole thing. You're yeah. Just like, no, After Uncle what ben happened died. with your Uncle Ben, you yeah. know, or like, so they brush up against it in one line of dialogue when he's talking to Ned about how he's Spider-Man. He was like, "I don't want, I don't want May to find yeah, out." May, yeah, May. After all, she's been through a lot. Yeah. But like, they don't say that. All they could have done has been like, "After Ben." Like that's all he could, that's all he had to have said. Yeah, they don't have to say the line that everyone. I love the line, but the line everyone hates because yeah. it's been said over and oh, over. Oh, great! I don't know why people also. hate it. It's great. I don't. I don't know why either. But you don't have to say that. Just give me the tie to Uncle Ben because to me, again, Tony Stark, not a good role model. <laughs> not. I mean, yeah, he's an Avenger. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's not the reason Spider-Man does what he does. That, no, that can't be. Right. Um, my actually big problem with the movie is that Tony doesn't make any sense in the movie. He doesn't make any sense at all in the movie. Um, not as part of the movie. He makes perfect sense. I actually really like the way they worked him into the story. Mm-hmm. They also used him the perfect amount. He's yeah. in four scenes, maybe five if you count that one, where they CGI'd him from the back and they clearly didn't have him for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> the But he his... His I don't want you working on anything big makes no sense. He literally got him to fight Captain America. Like, I don't I don't understand he like he he went to him and was like, Hey kid, come join me on this universe altering global scale political conflict between superheroes. 
but don't find any supervillains. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's how you shut down that argument, and he never does. Like, just once over the course of the movie, I want him to be like, uh, I fought Giant Man, mm-hmm. and I took Captain America's shield. Like, what are you talking about? Don't go after these, like, supervillains. I'm glad he didn't because I liked how small the stakes were. But yeah, it also, I love like, that. It, just, it was really inconsistent to <clears> me. <throat> like, yeah. Tony's actions don't make any sense. Yeah, um, I just feel like he's kind of there because it's like, this is Spider-Man's entrance into the MCU, and I guess we kind of have to keep pulling that thread. He's, but- I don't know. He doesn't feel super necessary in this film. Yeah. Well, the annoying thing is it retroactively makes him super shoehorned into the events of Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because it's just like, well, I want you to stay kind of street level, but you got to go across the world with me <laughs> to fight Captain America while we're trying to pass this thing that's going to alter how superheroes act under the law for eternity. Like, you can yeah. do that. But I don't want you doing anything crazy back here in New York. And it's like, what the hell? Like, what? <laughs> I did, why? Um, okay, so uh, we talked last week about how this movie... Spoilers, 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 spoilers. We talked last week about how this movie gave away a ton of stuff in the trailers. Yeah. Somehow, somehow... Surprised us through still. some weird magic. It had maybe the biggest twist of the year in the middle of this movie. Yeah, which is that Vulture Michael Keaton, uh, his character is the dad of the love interest in the movie, and holy moly, did yeah. I not see that crap coming? I felt like no one did. My theater, it's like you could hear Audible like, oh, Oh, yeah, my theater lost its dang mind. (laughs) Um, Like, my jaw hit the floor. One, I I would have never expected a twist in an MCU movie, especially 16 movies in. Like, they know what they're doing at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And when he opened that door, like my jaw hit the floor. There were audible gasps and like a couple people swore. And then, yep. <laughs> um, and then I just like my, my mouth was just hanging open and I felt okay. my wife look at me and she started cracking up and way later than everyone else, it like kind of sank in with me. And I was just like, huh? Like, all right, you got me movie. Like, well, friggin' played, man. Like, yeah, and it didn't me back seem, in. it wasn't cheap. It didn't seem no. cheap. It was really well executed, man. Yeah. Really well executed. And the scene that plays out after that oh is my so great and awkward. Tarantino is. Oh my gosh. The tension yeah. is palpable. Yes. Yes. <sighs> yes. It's, it's one of the most tense things that's ever happened in an MCU movie. Yeah. And it's, and it's and it's great too because it's kind of like Peter is like blindsided just like we are and you're just like oh my gosh like what's gonna happen and they're riding in the car and you're kind of like Liz shut up stop saying things and it's just like Michael Keaton's face in that whole scene and the way they shoot him and like you know he's he's looking at Peter like through the rear view and you see like Michael Keaton's like eyes and it's like oh my gosh like you know he's just piecing it together and you're just like oh what's gonna happen. It's great. It's so freaking good, man. Like like we said, Michael Keaton's great in it, and that's the evil Batman scene I was talking about. Like yeah. he's so good in that scene. And then like when they get to the homecoming dance and he drops him off and he has that conversation with him without actually telling him he knows he's Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So just, good. He just pulls that Glock up and like kinda sits it like on the, the back seat and like leans back and looks at him and Oh my gosh, it's like so, it's so intense, and it's so great, and it was so unexpected, but I think it really, you know, like, the movie was smart in that it didn't go to this big, like, catastrophic save-the-world type plot, but in Peter's world, it's like this, it's like, it was just the right size, it was just the right amount of, like, you know, he's Spider-Man, he's trying to prove himself, but, like, he doesn't know what he's doing, and so, like, for for him and his world, you know, this seems like 
it is the biggest problem to a 15 year old, you yeah. know, and it's like even exacerbated by the fact that like I've tried to take down this guy, I've been unsuccessful, and it's kind of like, like what, like what do I do with this, you know? Yeah. And I just, I just thought it was like a perfect fit to really like highlight his his character, and it's like, okay, this is like what proves like who Spider-Man is, you know, like he's given the option of like his options and he knows like if he chooses to do this thing it's going to cost him and like we talked about like last time i think ryan you were the one who said it it's like part of like who spider-man is is like his decisions come with a cost and i just think like from that car scene to him like thinking about going into the homecoming dance and then to him like finally deciding like you know i can't you know i can't like spider-man is part of who i am i was like yeah like that nails to me, like, who Spider-Man is. And I, I just, I love that whole sequence. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> we got to wrap up here, but I want to talk about two things, both related to the end. One, uh, great last shot of the movie mm-hmm. uh, with Ant-Man yep. finding out. I thought that was a perfect uh, little button. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great to end on a joke. Um also, best post credit scene in a Marvel movie ever. <laughs> yep. So good. So good. Uh, man, I couldn't believe that the final... There are two post credit scenes, and one of them is like a world builder with Scorpion. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Yeah. The second one <laughs> is this great, like, troll. It's like yeah. one of the greatest trolls I've ever seen a movie do. It's so that was great. incredible, I, and it was a nice payoff to like seeing Captain America earlier in the film. You know, with the stupid like little videos that yeah. they kept watching. It was great. I liked I liked Hannibal's maybe it's just because I love Hannibal, but I liked Hannibal's <laughs> line where he was like, "I'm pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "But whatever." <laughs> um, yeah, man. Oh, also that Ferris Bueller thing was. Fantastic. That, mm-hmm. that was great. Like, one of the best gags in a Marvel movie. It's, man, so, so good. good. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming? Uh, good movie. Go see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I think, you know, if we had more time, I mean, like, I would talk tons about it. But I just, really good characters, really compelling, great Spider-Man performance by Tom Holland. I think... The Vulture is a character that, like, they've left the door open for the possibility of Michael Keaton to come back. And I really hope he does, because just the way they wrote his character and even his motivation for doing stuff and the last conversation he has with Peter before, like, they actually fight and stuff. Yeah. I I think they could do they could tell some really interesting stories with that moving forward. I agree. There's, there's very, so much. very glad he lived. There's so much potential there and all the stuff he was saying about like, you know, you're not one of them. You're like street level like me and they don't care about you. And, you know, like all this stuff. And it was great because I just I just loved it because it's still about Spider-Man. He's a teenager. He doesn't understand that type of rhetoric. And he's like, I just got to do what's right and wrong. And so I just feel like they can build upon that nuance of him growing as a hero and just seeing like things aren't just black and white. And Michael Keaton was so great with that. So, yeah, it, it's it's great. The characters are amazing. Um, highly recommend it. Yeah. He gives them the, we're not so different, you and I, speech from mm. that Green Goblin gives him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, man. What's that? Oh, sorry. Just that line that runs in my head. Now. Oh, yep. Uh, yeah, man. It's, it's good. Uh, if you are tired of the Marvel formula, I don't know what to tell you. It's still that. It's still very much that. <laughs> um, I think this one shakes it up enough. You uh, know. I, I don't know. It felt a lot like Iron Man to me. Um, not, not in a bad way, but hey, I, I think I think this is better than probably the couple previous Marvel movies. Oh, it's better than Doctor Strange and Guardians. Guardians, too, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what, and I think it being in high school gives it a different, like, perspective. Yeah. That's fresh, for, in my mind, in the Marvel Universe. It was just, it was nice to see something. It's like, this feels very different. Like, yeah. I like the John feel. That, and, like, I liked that the kids were, like, really smart. Like, it was, we saw all the smart kids. Because, like, yeah. it gave them a reason to, like, not really talk like high schoolers. But, like, they also didn't talk 
so much like adults that it was annoying. Yeah. But they were like they talked smarter than the average teenager. Yeah. But they were all like the academic kids, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. it made academic cool, which I thought was great. Um, but yeah, uh, Spider Man is it's a pleasant surprise on my end because I was so not feeling this movie. Happy to see a good Spider Man after like thirteen yeah. years. Yeah, that's true. Um, we're gonna take a short break and be right back to talk about mine and Ryan's expectations for War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, we'll be right back. I hope you enjoyed that uh, section on uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, and I hope you were pleasantly surprised, uh, as I was if you saw the film, or pleasantly surprised by my pleasantly surprised reaction, because I was not expecting that at all! <laughs> um, and thank you to Corey Tendall. It's always good to get the band back together. Um, you can catch him on GameSpace over on the Real Perspective YouTube channel. Um, but now we're going to transition into... A much bleaker film. <laughs> um, this weekend is War for the Planet of the Apes. It's the third in the sort of new Planet of the Apes trilogy. Not quite a reboot, more of a prequel trilogy. Um, you know, it's it's the third um, in in this one. Like I said, it's it's the my understanding is it's the 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 capper to all of these events. And so presumably the next film in the franchise would be the 1969 Planet of the Apes movie. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if I got the year right. It might be 68. Anyway, um, that's my understanding, but I could be wrong about that. Um, the first movie was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which saw um, Caesar and the apes being able to talk, um, figuring out that they could talk. And the second one was called Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which was... After the, you know, the simian flu runs its course uh, and ravages humanity, um, it's about the apes kind of figuring out how they should coexist with humans. And there's Koba, the bad ape, who um, <clears throat> thinks they should overtake them and kind of Caesar trying to rein him in. And this one is War for the Planet of the Apes, which seems like Caesar is almost new Koba <laughs> um, in it. Uh, it, 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 it basically... Everything is stuck between a rock and a hard place for everyone in this film, and something's gotta give. Um, so yeah, Ryan, what do you think about this, uh, one, I guess the larger Apes franchise, but more specifically this prequel trilogy? Uh, I have loved all of them. I love the first one saw in theaters, saw the second one in theaters. I think they're, to me, they're masterpieces. Um, uh, the second one, like... I love the first one. The second one's even better, but not in, like, making the first one rubbish. Just, like, amped it up. Mm -hmm. Like, everything stayed true. Core characters stayed true to what they were. Um, the storyline is really good. I love the acting. And, I mean, even though, what, 90% of the actors are all CG, yep. um, it's beautiful performances from all of them. And I think that... This franchise has its due is amazing due to two people, Andy Serkis, and forgive me the director. I don't, I don't remember the director. So name. Rise of the Planet of the Apes was directed by Rupert Wyatt, mm -hmm. and then um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes are both directed by a guy named Matt Reeves. Okay. Matt Reeves directed Let Me In, which is the American remake of a movie called Let the Right One In. Yeah. And he also directed Cloverfield. Okay. Uh, and he's directing the upcoming Batman. Oh. Sorry, okay. Ben Affleck. Doing that one. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love the franchise. Um, if it, if they ended at this, at this third one, I think that would be fine. And then they just say, well, then the original Planet of the Apes comes in and, you know, I would have, I would have no problem with that. But part of me is kind of hoping they remake the first one. Yeah. Um, cause you don't need Andy Serkis cause I'm assuming he's probably going to be dead at the end of this third one. I mean, I don't know. Could be yeah. Wrong. Um, but I don't know. But no, I love I love the universe. And to me, this is the last hope I have for good movies this year. <laughs> How familiar are you with the uh, the the before the, the original? The original? Oh, I've I've seen them all. Oh, okay. Um, the first one's really good. The second one's alright, and they just can they get weirder and weirder. The best one for me for me 
were uh, the last two they did. Okay. Which I think was... Conquest. Conquest and then Battle for the yeah. Planet of the Apes, which is kind of roughly what this new trilogy. Yeah, these is based have taken elements because there are certain. There's a certain point where they go back in time mm. to when Caesar is rising. Yeah. In the original films, so there are actually kind of elements of that peppered throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually only seen the original Planet of the Apes and the Tim Burton one, but that doesn't count in this continuity. Yeah. Also, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah very much. Um, but so. I've only seen the original Charlton Heston one, and then I haven't seen any of the sequels, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what elements they've taken from which movies. They all kind of get muddied in my brain because I haven't seen them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree, man. This These movies are like perfect sci-fi blockbuster filmmaking mm-hmm. um, of a certain kind of sci-fi, too, of like a thinking sci-fi, not of like a space opera or a popcorn sci-fi, like something... Um, that's coming up actually the week after uh, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, yeah. or you know more more traditionally a Star War, um, something like that. This is definitely like a it's really challenging. It's really dark. It's got a lot to say about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hyper political, not necessarily reflecting the day's political climate, but just there's a lot of politicking involved in it. It's a lot of talking, yeah. um, which you don't really expect. From these big effects-driven movies, you know, the, the the tech on display here is outstanding. As it is in the original, the makeup in the original is so good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, it cuts through all of that to have something on its mind. And I think that it's the best example of that kind of sci-fi maybe outside of District 9 in mm. the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interstellar wanted to be that, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, and yeah, man, Matt Re- I'm a huge Matt Reeves fan. This is his fourth movie. With his previous three efforts, he's a three and zero as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Cloverfield. We talked about last year on Ten Cloverfield Lane how much I love Cloverfield. Man, I love Cloverfield. Uh, Let Me In is good. I don't know if it justifies its existence because it is pretty much the same movie as its uh, foreign counterpart. Swedish. There we go. As its Swedish counterpart. So there was a small portion of me when I saw it in theaters that was like, I could have watched the original on Netflix and the only difference is I didn't have to read it and it takes place in Sweden and not New Mexico. Like, that it was that was kind of it. Yeah. Although, Let Me In has one of... It has my favorite car crash I've ever seen on film, and it's one of my favorite shots in cinema history, period. It's jaw-dropping. It's so good. Um, He did this thing where he mounted the camera. I don't know how he did this. The car flips over, but the shot stays straight up while the car is flipping, and the, the background revolves around it. It's nuts, man. Dang. It's like... I remember seeing that in the theater and just kind of looking around like, the I need to talk to someone about this shot right now, though. Like, <laughs> can we pause the movie so we can talk about how great that was? Um, and then, yeah, uh, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes just, like, blew my dang mind. I, yeah. I mean, like you, I saw Rise in 2011 when it came out, and I loved it. Um Still probably my favorite James Franco performance. <laughs> um, he's really good in that movie. John Lithgow's really, really good in it. Yeah. Uh, Draco Malfoy's really good. Like, such a D-bag in that movie. It's so <laughs> yes. great. And that final confrontation on the Golden Gate Bridge is awesome. Like, I still, sweet. like, thinking about it now, I'm still like, man, it's so well done. Um, and those effects still hold up, what, six years later? Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2014, like, Matt Reeves comes in and just, like, amps it up to a whole new level, but builds on this really great foundation that was Mm -hmm. laid by rise it it just seems like this really coherent saga of films that like each one progresses organically into the next one and each one justifies itself on its own terms but also to get the full experience experience requires the last one having been seen Mm -hmm. um it's they're really 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 well made really smart sci-fi films yeah so that being said what are you expecting out of war for the planet of the apes just uh a sense of closure Mm. for this amazing trilogy um and 
just based off the trailers, and um, I have absolute faith that it is going to be probably my favorite movie of the year. Really? I, I, I'm putting that out there. I'm going to put my chips down. I'm going to say it's probably going to be wow. movie of the year for me. And I love, there's been, you know, you know me, I, there's a few that have been my top. Mm-hmm. Logan, John Wick. Um, but I think this one's going to blow them out of the water because I haven't seen a movie yet this this year mm-hmm. that's had that emotion that has had the emotional punch that I think uh, apes will have Battle for the Planet of the Apes um, is it battle or is it war war for the planet war for, excuse me war for the planet of the apes um, and I think this one's gonna have it it's gonna have that it's gonna have good characters um, characters I care about and just a, a good plot. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, I think that's, uh, pretty much my, my anticipation of it. I'm, I'm thinking probably movie of the year for me. Yeah, uh, I am inclined to agree with you. I think, I think it has a real shot for me. Um, mm. 2014, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was my favorite movie that year, mm. which, uh, is crazy because... Uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier came out that year and it's really good I love that movie Edge of Tomorrow came out that year Um, Whiplash okay no just kidding Whiplash was my favorite movie of 2014 (laughs) just kidding but it was my second favorite movie of 2014 I think I didn't see Whiplash until well after the Oscars Um, so I saw that actually in 2015 like deep into 2015 but yeah, 2014. So at the if you ask me at the end of 2014 what my favorite movie of the year was, it was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And it probably the answer changes given on the day. Mm. Um, I am so, so excited for uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. I think it's just going to deliver on what, like it feels, it just feels like this is what it's led to. Yeah. You know, like it feels like the logical next step for this series and I like that. Um, I think originality is overrated. <laughs> um, <laughs> ju- like, just because you're different doesn't mean you're good. Mm. Uh, and I think predictability is wildly underrated unless you're the theme song to Full House. Um, <clears throat> the the pro-predictability predictability anthem that is the theme song to Full House. Yeah. Uh, but, like, th- honestly, like, it's it's... You know, it's kind of that that idea of Occam's Razor, the most logical, uh, the simplest solution is the best solution. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how storytelling is. The simplest endpoint is usually the most satisfying one because you're expecting it, you know? When your expectations get played with, it can go either way. Like, it's a real crapshoot. You know, uh, uh, I I think a movie like... um, I think even in Baby Driver, in some cases, I've seen, like, people don't really like how almost violent the the turns are Mm -hmm. in it, Um, you know, especially based on the trailers. And I totally understand that it's sold as kind of this, like, fun, have-a-good-time summer heist movie, and it's, like, pretty dark. Yeah. Um, And, and, like, you know, my favorite series finale of any show I've ever seen is Breaking Bad. There's not a single surprise in the series finale of Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. There's, like, clever ways they go about to sew up the loose ends. But the actual events themselves are the things you knew needed to happen to provide a satisfying conclusion to that story. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, and there's there's this this idea, this kind of quote. It's called headcanon, where people write their own endings to stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this kind of headcanon that after the credits of Breaking Bad, we see smash cut to Walter White sitting in the doctor's office with the doctor saying, Mr. White, Mr. White. And it's all been like his fantasy now that he finds out he's got cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's stupid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that would have completely ruined everything about it. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the finality of that series is really great. But like I said, it's really predictable. Um, And that's fine. Like that's super fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, heck, even the movie we just talked about, Spider-Man, yeah. is super predictable, but it's a really good, fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a really good movie to watch. Um, yeah, so with that, I think there aren't going to be a ton of surprises here. Like, oh, really? we we know that the apes got to win. Like, yeah, well, we know <laughs> the apes got to win, and we know there's going to be some bits of humanity left. Mm-hmm. Because that would tie directly into the first one, because humans are still around. 
they're just way lower on the food chain. Yes. So yeah. So I think we'll we'll see how that comes into being. Yeah, I agree. Also, I mean, Andy Serkis looks great. I almost call him Caesar Romero because he's playing an ape named Caesar. Yeah. Andy Serkis looks great. Uh, Woody Harrelson looks awesome in it. Yeah. Uh, man, he looks so good. Uh, this whole like Vietnam plus monkeys thing that's been happening this year is kind <laughs> of strange to me. Yeah. Like we got it. With Kong Skull Island, and uh, that movie was dumb as hell, but pretty entertaining, like, yeah. really fun to watch. This, I think, is going to be super smart. Um, and I don't know how, quote, entertaining it's going to be. It looks pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, I'm expecting it to be a bummer. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I, I'm fine with that. It's just, it's going to be a bummer. I'm also seeing it back-to-back to back with the first two in a theater oh you're going to that yeah i am oh i was tempted i was tempted man yeah i'll just watch the first two at home and then go see it yeah so this wednesday um we also get to see the movie two days early which is cool um but this wednesday starting at 3 30 p.m i will be in a theater experiencing over seven hours of ap goodness <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep um and man that second one is really dark too yeah and uh like, none of them are happy movies, so I feel like I'm going to be friggin' exhausted mm-hmm. by the end of it. But I'm really excited to do that because I actually haven't seen either one of the, the first two since I saw them in theaters. Mm. And I've only seen each one of them the one time, and they both made huge, huge impressions on me. Um, so seeing the whole story kind of play out before we see the new one is going to be, I think, really nice. Yeah, that's um, sweet treat, man. I think the last thing I want to talk about... Yeah, we have time. I think the last thing I want to talk about is this mocap thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made a push... They made a push in 2014 to have Andy Serkis nominated for an Oscar for his performance in it. And the Academy has been kind of... Uh, they've kind of turned a blind eye to motion-captured performances. Now, the Academy has a lot of problems and like it very rarely lines up with the interests of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, there are kind of two sides of the argument. The one is, you know, they're not physically there on screen. They can animate whatever whatever emotion they want around that face. Um, there's a certain school of thought, even within the mocap community, that the mocap people honestly get a little too much credit um, because people don't know how movies are made um, in that mocap technology. And this was a long time ago. Mocap technology wasn't quite there to really just kind of put the skin over the person. Mm. Um, so they, even with it, it's it's a really divisive idea, even in that community. A lot of people look at Andy Circus of like almost trying to over legitimize what they do. Mm. Um, and then there are obviously a school of people who think that they're completely valid performances, top to bottom. Um, wh- what do you think about that, Ryan? I think they're valid performances, and I think they need to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially done to the done to the degree that Andy Serkis uh, does it, which is he puts in a performance. He puts his heart and soul into it. It's not just okay. I'm just a reference point guy. I mean, he had to deal with that when he when he filmed the original. There's no other the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know where the actors are just well. Andy's just sitting here and he's just the. You know, you're going to put someone else in his place. But he fought really hard to be like, no, act with me. You know, let's bounce off of this is acting. I'm I'm not just a stand-in. I'm doing the part. And I think that needs to be recognized, you know. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, this this conversation also came up when Up came out. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people said Ed Asner deserved uh, nomination for his performance as Karim. Um, the Academy's never really nominated vo- vocal performances or mocap. Um, I think it's going to get to a point where they're going to have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, with tech, how it's going. Yeah, it's with going tech, how it's route. going. There's no way they can ignore it for too much longer. Yeah. They're already starting the Oscar push for Andy Serkis in uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. There's a couple TV spots that are like, uh, Andy Serkis deserves an Oscar. Like they they pulled it they pulled it out of a critics review and put it into the. Um, put it into the, the TV commercial, and I was like, man, they're going hard on this already. Like, the Oscar campaign season does not start for another, like, four months at least, mm-hmm. and that's early. But they're, like, they're already getting it into people's heads of, like, hey, when this doesn't happen, be mad about it. Yeah. And I think that's actually really smart, and I think it's the only way they're really going to get to advance that 
to that level. Um, also, Andy Serkis is a good actor. Like, yeah. even when he's not doing mocap, like I really like him in The Prestige. I, mm-hmm. I, he's great in that movie. Um, he does more. He's the thing is like even if he is just the reference point guy, which he's not. Even if he is, he's really good at that. Like mm-hmm. he's really good at it. He yeah. he can he can emote um, with his physicality. I mean, like some of the greats, like Keaton or Chaplin or Lloyd. You know, like yeah. he is very much of that old silent film school type of acting. He's very physical, very physical. And my understanding is that there aren't a lot of words in this new Planet of the Apes movies. It's a lot of physical acting that's taking place. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, you know that that. A performance, like movies, a performance can be a lot of different things. And I think that that goes to undercut maybe some of the problems with the awards in general is that movies are all kinds of different things, yeah. you know? And, and so to put them in kind of one box doesn't represent the breadth of movies, you know? And so you hear every year people complaining about, like, oh, the Academy always gets it wrong. And it's like, well, kind of... Yeah, but also, like, you don't have to watch the movies the Academy tells you to. You can go watch the other movies that you actually like, you know? Like, um, the the movies are a lot of different things, and that's kind of where your argument is. Um, So, so yeah, I I think motion capture performances are going to get recognized probably in the next five years. Um, Especially with people like Jon Favreau Mm -hmm. doing what he's doing, and Andy Serkis has his own Jungle Book movie coming down the pipe. Oh, really? Yeah, for some reason. He's directing it. Um, I don't know how I feel about any of that. Okay. It doesn't make sense to me, especially because Jon... I feel like if I'm Andy Serkis and I see Jon Favreau's, I'm just like, welp. That's been done. Not gonna top that. It's supposed to be, like, the dark, gritty version of it, and that sounds terrible to me. It's probably closer to the source material, Yeah. but, like, I don't give a crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've already seen the Happy Jolly version. Why would I want to see the downtrodden? Yeah, well, and also, like, I really don't like the live-action one as much as I like the cartoon, mm. like, the, the 90s live-action one that they tried to do. Yeah. I don't know, with the real animals. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. I, I don't know. It was really boring to me as a kid, but... I also, I only ever saw it with commercial breaks, mm-hmm. so I wonder if it just kind of, I kind of lost it as it was broken up by the commercials. I <laughs> a little bit. I remember that one. I like that one. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see not only where this Apes movie ends up, but, you know, like I said, ostensibly it's the last one, and they're proving that by any circus is moving on to this Jungle Book project, which is going to be hyper time intensive. Mm -hmm. And Matt Reeves is joining the DCEU with the Batman. And presumably he's going to be directing those Mm -hmm. in perpetuity. Uh, So I think this is the final chapter and I'm fine with that, but I really am interested to see where it lands. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that'll do it for this episode uh right on time that'll do it for this episode of the before and after show as always you can find me at mj smith 891 on twitter um you can find uh my writing at wordofthenerd.com and keithlovesmovies.com i just wrote uh, an obituary piece for uh joan lee Mm -hmm. um stanley's late wife uh thoughts and prayers with that guy um you know the nerd pope and, uh, <clears throat> you know, she was the woman who saved Marvel Comics. Uh, who she's, the, she's directly responsible for Marvel Comics existing at all. Yep. Um, so, you know, uh, it was actually quite a blow to, to that community. So, um, yeah, I just wrote about that. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, you can find our YouTube channel at Real Perspective on YouTube. Um, go give us a subscribe. Um, I think Corey Tyndall has a game space going up this week, and we just talked about, Mike, Mike Moray and myself just talked about, um, is Disney ruining movies? Uh, maybe you should watch that video before you comment on it. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, because uh, the... I'll just say that the title is definitely worded to make you have a certain response, and the content of the video is much less compelling than the title of the video. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that's it. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, 
what uh, we thought about War for the Planet of the Apes. And then, I don't know what we're covering next week, actually. Um, I think we're going to split it between Valerian and Dunkirk, and we may still do that. Mm. But it would be a three-segment thing. So, uh, find out next week what we do with that. Uh, Until next time, go watch Spider-Man Homecoming, because it's much better than I thought it was. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>